You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast about helping online brands to build a better e-commerce growth engine with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. So, John, glad you made it back into the country. I know you were off in France educating business owners around company culture. Really exciting. We are going to continue on our listener Q&A today because... Uh, not because we're lazy or you're jet lag, but because we got a quite a, quite a few questions through. Um, and if you listen to our last podcast, you know that we just there's no way we could have gotten through all of them because our listeners are smart. That's probably why they're listening to us, and they have a lot of questions that are good and justify answering. So let's continue on this journey of Q and A, John. The next one in this list of questions we have is a CPG brand has an annual budget of a million dollars for paid acquisition. Ooh, it already sounds like one for me. Um, <laughs> how do you recommend going about determining which channels to explore and how much of those funds to allocate to each one? How should that allocation change over time as more information is collected? Ooh, well, question. yeah, and it's obviously common. I don't. It probably doesn't even matter how much you're spending. This question is always going to come up when you're going to go spend money to acquire clients. And my general response across all clients have ever asked me this is fill the funnel from the bottom up. If you're filling it from the top down, you're going to have a lot of leakage. You're going to be driving a lot of business to your competitors. Your conversion rates are generally going to be pretty low. You're going to get frustrated because the return is low. So starting from the bottom up often allows people to see better returns and, and justify moving further and further up the funnel. And that also means that you know if I'm going to go run a display campaign on Facebook for my brand, and prospecting new users, I'm at least capturing them if they go back to Google and search for that. And so putting in the right order, I think will always help. And I think as over time, the mix is gonna constantly be changing. I think what worked two years ago on Facebook is not working the same way it is now. It's a pretty easy statement to make. <laughs> so there's other social channels that will fit in there. Google's making massive changes. So I think certain pieces of Google ads and Bing ads is going to be moving up and down that funnel. You should be regularly, probably quarterly, reinvestigating where you're allocating money and, and what the expected return on that money is, especially with this change in first party data. The next couple of years are going to be very unique. And it's I could probably say that at any point in time, <laughs> things are changing so quickly in our industry. That's what keeps us on our toes. And it keeps us with jobs. I mean, if everybody converted at 10% and never had to do anything, John, everybody made 10x return on ad spend, I would know we wouldn't be here. So always be measuring and testing what you're doing with it. Have a source of truth that everybody in the organization agrees to, and then view your data from these channels, not in silos, but across attribution paths. And look at different attribution paths too, because it's always going to be different. And I think we've done an episode about this, right? All the different channels and, and how you should be thinking about splitting your spend across channels. I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. that I interviewed you on that a number of episodes ago. So we'll have to dig up which one that is, but I know we do have a show about the similar topic that would be 30, 45 minutes just on this answer. Yeah, I think that you can go so far down into this, but high level, simple answer, bottom up and measure it from the, you know, better conversion rates at the bottom of the funnel. So you're, you're advocating general. for spending on on like a PDP, for instance. Yep, but I would do that generally higher or above. You know, make sure you're covering the category. So if somebody's okay. looking for white coffee cups, you probably have some great converting coffee cups in that category. You're going to want to make sure you're covering the category below that too. So as people search coffee cups or white coffee cups. Mm -hmm. You're going to convert at a different rate than people going directly in one coffee cup. It's an individual off a Google shopping ad. Okay. Yeah. So I'm guessing since that was my question, the next one in line is probably yours. So 
John, what advice would you have around selling products that have multiple options for customization? For example, picking the number of items, size of items, and color of items in a bundle. Now, for example, for a stock, our new sock brand in the UK, they sell socks in bundles of one, three, five pairs. We decided to make the product page streamlined by requiring the customer to first pick a color, then quantity. Some customers want to pick pack size and then go color or pattern within that space. Mm-hmm. So how do you even go about creating a theory around how to test that? Yeah, I think this is, it's a very specific question, but I think mm-hmm. it's one that, a lot of brands might might have over time. So how do you work with variants? I mean, this is really a question of variants, right? Mm-hmm. More than anything else. You know, the more complex you make your product mix, the more complex that fulfillment becomes, let alone just tracking inventory, everything else, right? So there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to just have bundles that are preset and not let consumers take it to that level of customization. Now, my first question would be, what percentage of customers are asking for this? How many really are interested in being able to customize a three-pack or a five-pack? And how complicated is your fulfillment? Are you using a third party like a ShipBob or something? In which case, there's no way they're going to be able to pick and customize you know, a custom three-pack for you. Or are you in-house fulfilling this? So I think there's a lot of questions to be thinking about on the back end. But considering that they launched just last year in October, it says it launched October 21. Mm -hmm. Looking at that, I would say it's too early for them to be doing a mix where people can pick their own three-pack or five-pack colors. Instead, if you really want to offer some variety around that, maybe do some custom three and five-packs besides just saying, hey, here's one color in a three-pack or a five-pack of that one color. Maybe you do a bundle that, that is a special bundle uh, that you like or that, you know, you could you could crowdsource, put together, you know, a bundle and we'll pick the most popular one. And uh, that's what we'll sell as a bundle. All in all, though, it's not uncommon for folks to be able to first pick a color and then the quantity. I think, you know, you got to have both of those options in there. So honestly, I don't see the need based on their particular situation. But the more options you can offer, generally the better if you can keep it simple. What I mean by that is if you get too complicated on the user experience, then people are going to drop off because they A, can't figure it out, or B, they just want a pair of socks. And all of a sudden you're making them choose all these colors and it's taking them 10 minutes to figure this out when you know they just went in and, and, and just wanted five pairs of black socks and be done. And you're making them go through and say, you know, Pair one, I want black. Pair two, I want black. Pair three, I want black, right? It just, it's not worth it. So mm-hmm. you have to ride that line. And generally, I'm going to ride the line on the side of simplicity when when all else is similar. And I think, because I've experienced difficulties with this, even within the Shopify platform, it defaults mm-hmm. to 100 variant options. And yeah. once you get four options that you want to mix and match for three, you go over the 100 variant count. But what do I have now? I think I have four, I have three packs that let people pick each one. So it's a drop down of one of, mm-hmm. you pick one of four options and there's 63 potential variants. I actually have five blends on Joyful Dirt. We don't even include that one, uh, the extra yeah. one. <laughs> Can't get it. And it's worked okay. But I think as we start getting more complex, it's app that generally mm-hmm. has to do that. Um, and if you do worry about inventory, it becomes the biggest pain. Yeah. And, and and so there's so many more things beyond conversion rate, I think, that go into that question that can do it. And there's some bundle creators within the Shopify, BigCommerce, WooCommerce 
ecosystems that you can play with. One of the simple ones I've seen, or one of the companies that has done a good job that I've seen, I think Crumble Cookie allows you to make your own box that you pick mm -hmm. up. And by the way, each cookie is like as big as a cake. They're massive. <laughs> but it's each each week they have like a different, here's our flavors that we're offering today mm -hmm. in our bundle. And so even just making it something like that, where it's a short period of time, these are the ones in there where you do a seasonal and socks that's maybe your spring colors are in a bundle. Otherwise, everything else is pre-made and you pick one of those where you're just doing limited amounts of customization within right your space to even just test it yeah and that and that bundle would be a skew so now it's you're not worried about having you know nine skews because you have three products that can each be done different ways right or mm -hmm. maybe you start adding sizes into that and it just it just blows up and so i agree with you i think you have to look at this from fulfillment first can you even fulfill it if not then don't start down this road because you're just going to upset consumers most brands that are just starting out are not able to fulfill this appropriately. And that that becomes a bigger challenge. Mm -hmm. But from a conversion standpoint, I think you know you kind of raised that a little bit. I think from a conversion standpoint, I, I'm always gonna lean to simpler is better because people can get in and get out with mm -hmm. you know, whatever they may they may want or need to get done. Yep. Henry Ford did a pretty good job. You can get the bottle teen antiquary you want as long as it's black. I mean, you, yeah. people are gonna take what they if they want your product and you branded well, they're gonna take what you have available. There you go. And there's always going to be people that whine. Been doing this a long time. You're never yeah. going to have every customer that doesn't ask for something weird. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Uh, I, now I'm intrigued about what are the weird things people ask for around <laughs> fertilizer? But um, we'll, we'll save that for another uh, yeah, episode. Our Q&A is if I've got a lot of blocked questions. I'm like, I can't believe you asked this. <laughs> But okay. All right, Ryan. So how do you think about the relationship between paid acquisition and other marketing functions? For example, are you driving traffic to product pages or custom landing pages? Are you experimenting with driving traffic to non-commercial assets like user-generated content, reviews from influencers, or blog content? You know, overall, what they're trying to ask here is if you're thinking about paid acquisition, how do you balance that with everything else that you're you're trying to do as a marketer? Mm -hmm. Well, you got to look at the type of traffic too. Google Shopping goes to product pages. Mm -hmm. And so you're separating that out because that's not be able to direct anywhere else. Yeah. Um, I can take it from the bottom up. Blog, I will probably never spend my own money driving traffic to a blog. Okay. <laughs> probably. I always that's fair. put an it's asterisk. The to it's the top of the funnel. It right? is. Very top of funnel, very low mm -hmm. conversion rate. And if somebody's looking for that content, you've got to have some real reason why you want to boost that blog content above what Google's already showing. Mm. Custom landing pages have become more popular, I think, in the last couple of years. Um, I've had a lot of clients talking about, do you guys you know, manage landing pages? And from an e-commerce standpoint, I think generally you don't need custom landing pages unless you have a really complex purchase that has multiple touch points. Mm. You know, if you're selling something that people already understand, at this exact moment in time where we're recording this, beginning of 2022, people understand categories and product pages and generally know what to do with them and how to find things on a website. Yeah. Shopify has probably done a good job of, and Amazon, a good job of teaching us how, what to expect. And if you go way beyond those expectations, I think people get frustrated or stuck. And so I think you have to look at the, the intent of where that traffic is coming from and what that person is expecting. So okay. if somebody's looking for reviews of your brand or product, I generally advocate for bidding on those terms for your brand. And that may make sense to have a reviews page on your site where, yes, as an e-commerce brand, I'm sending them to a landing page I've created for reviews. And it's got 
user-generated reviews, maybe some YouTube reviews that are just embedded in there. I would, I could see myself doing that if it made sense and there was enough volume for that. But as for like influencers and reviews from influencers, most of them, I'm I hopefully am using influencers to drive the traffic to me rather than me driving the traffic to the influencers. Yeah. Or using it as uh, social proof, perhaps on your page. Yeah. Right. But I'm not going to probably drive it to that, just okay. that user. Although I will say in social, we are seeing some pretty solid results from brands connecting to influencers and using dark posting tech where you're mm. using your money as the brand to boost the post Their of the post. influencer because that is that credibility saying, hey, I'm really famous. I like this product. You will too. And that goes along. I mean, we've been doing that, you know, probably since humans existed. So I think it's all blending together and it, it people have a purchase path. And what I use when I'm starting to mix things up is, is there a subset of users that are not completing that purchase path for me that I need to interrupt and get them to come to a different place or a different channel? But I will say 95% plus e-commerce brands that are advertising on acquisition channels probably just need to spend more moving up the funnel before they start getting really involved in complex driving traffic in different areas. I mean, there's actually a lot of companies that are creating AI tools to help companies see where they need to be moving their money at any one point in time. So today at 9 a.m., I might spend 70% of my money on Google Shopping and 30% on Facebook. And then by noon, I'm going to be spending 10% on TikTok. I mean, it's crazy the way they're trying to help people see I mean, data. It, that, that sounds exhausting to me. If it makes the changes for you, great. But that sounds exhausting. Otherwise. And some of them do, but it's... I, I think most companies are not at that level, but that's yeah. what they're being sold and being you told like, to oh, send, look at all this. You have to be spending enough money to see what I would call statistical significance on those, right? Meaning mm -hmm. you have to spend enough to be able to see and notice a change when you move your money from one place to another. And if you're moving your money every day, I mean, this is kind of like the stock market effect where if you are not present in the stock market, the 2% of days that you're going to make all of your money, then you know you just if you, you know you could be out of the market for all the bad days, but if you're not in the market on the on the two percent of days, that that's where you make all your money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's the same thing. If how does this AI know when to pull you in and out of all of these different marketplaces? It just sounds like exhausting to be doing that so often. But yeah, I, I was gonna ask you as well, Ryan. Like this seems like a prior prioritization question for me, right? Like where would you prioritize your spend, I guess, more than anything else and yeah. your time and effort, right? Because this is something where if you are a small brand, you can't be doing everything at all times. And if you're a big brand, you need to understand what's working and put double down on that to some degree. So it almost seems like whoever asked this question, and I don't know off the top of my head who it was, uh, I'd have to go back and look at the at the massive spreadsheet of questions. But the reality is I, I wonder if they're a bigger brand or a smaller brand. And mm -hmm. that, to me, it, it, it really would just come down to if you're a smaller brand, you need to prioritize and then just focus on doing one or two of these extremely well. And if you're a large brand, then you really still need to prioritize. But you know, I would put 80% of your spend to things you know work and 20% to, to play around and see see what happens. Yeah, and either size of company or no matter what size, if you're thinking about sending some, some traffic to a blog, you should probably take that money and get more aggressive on shopping because the ancillary benefits there and lower your return there because yeah. you're generally going to get almost no return on that. And the amount you have to spend to get to that level on shopping with that intent already there would be 
that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast focused on e-commerce growth. Your hosts are John McDonald, founder of The Good, a conversion rate optimization agency that works with e-commerce brands to help convert more of their visitors into buyers, and Ryan Garrow of Logical Position, a digital marketing agency offering pay-per-click management, search engine optimization, and website design services to brands of all sizes. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us out by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you. Okay, John. Next question uh, says they have a really large product catalog, over a thousand SKUs, uh, which means even certain categories can have hundreds of results for customers to browse through. What advice do you have for helping with discoverability, reducing browse abandonment, and quickly pairing customers a product that best meets their needs? This is yeah. probably a con- constant problem. Oh, it is. I, I call this a wayfinding issue, right? They say, you know, discoverability. I think that's somewhat true, but I think why I call this wayfinding is it's like driving on a highway and here on the West Coast, you know, everyone has what we call the five, right? Which goes up and down the West Coast. You need to know when to get off the highway. And as a consumer, you're, you're driving along and you need signs to say, hey, this is where you're at right now and where you're headed. And so I think that this is the same issue that a lot of websites have is I look at navigations and so many navigations talk about the brand and it says things like about us, our blog, you know, things of that sort, instead of helping the consumer orient where they are and where they want to go. And so I, this is why I, I mainly recommend that navigations are product-based. And that's what's the high-level navigation because it should be your product categories, essentially. Because otherwise, you're going to have a hard time getting consumers to where they want to be to solve their pain or need. And that's really going to help bounce rates in abandonment. And it's going to help get customers to where they want to be to start doing that research on on what fits their needs best. So I look at this as a wayfinding issue and easily solved by overhauling your navigation. The first thing I would do is remove anything that talks about you and instead focus on your products and under the understanding, if you will, that you need to, to help the consumer get to that first step in the funnel. What is the first thing you want them to do is get to a category that fits for what they're at your site to do. Another way that has been really helpful when you have lots of SKUs like this. Now, if you're an Amazon, okay, all bets are off, right? You're just, you just, people are just going to search for what they want most likely, right? But if you have a thousand SKUs across 10 different categories, let's say, right? Then, and a lot of it is, you know, like that sock brand that we were just talking about. Maybe they have a lot of different sizes and colorways and things like that. Okay, great. What you can do and has worked really well is these quizzes. So you get somebody in on that homepage and you say, okay, let's take a quiz to help you narrow this down. And that has been really helpful for a lot of different types of products that may be a little more technical or less preference-based and more, you know, around facts. So uh, skincare, this works really well. Like Mm -hmm. people generally know I have oily skin or dry skin, or I have a light complexion or dark complexion, right? You start thinking about those type of things. So you, you often see quizzes being used in, in beauty products, uh, less so in apparel, but I've seen it used for sporting goods, or even if you're selling shoes, like, you know, okay, what, what kind of sport do you like to play, right? For athletic shoes. And then you get into, you know, what kind of fit do you, you want? Any true athlete, I mean, like 
playing basketball, I have a particular shoe type that I like. And I generally can narrow down based on that. But Nike doesn't have a quiz. I think they should because it would really help me be like, <laughs> this is for somebody who wants something that's a lighter weight shoe, wears a 15, which those two things don't typically go together. And then on top of that, I like a low top. And so then it's like, okay, like how to narrow it down to two or three options from there. And then I can choose, okay, I like this color more, or I want to support that athlete more than this other one for whatever reasons, uh, things of that sort. So this is really all about wayfinding more, more or less. What's your opinion on, like, if I've got a category of a hundred mm-hmm. giving you some drop downs or easy filters at the top of that category page to say, I'm going this direction rather than a quiz, mm-hmm. does, does one work better or worse? Or Well, a good variation of a quiz is on a category page is to have great filtering. If you're able to have good filtering, you're essentially doing the same thing a quiz is doing. You're just a different mindset with the consumer where mm-hmm. the consumer is now going in and, and checking some boxes and Nike has great filtering, right? But it's not around, it's around facts and figures, not around what I would like to see. So what do I mean by that? Well, it's around size. It's around color. It's around sport, right? High mm-hmm. level stuff, right? But it's not around, Hey, I want a low top versus a high top basketball shoe, or I play this position, what shoes do you think would be best for me? That's where I'm saying you get that extra layer of data in Mm -hmm. in doing that. The nice thing about quizzes too, is you can start building up profiles for your consumers to where over that session and depending on cookie length, you know, generally within a couple of weeks, if somebody comes back, you're able to continue to customize and personalize the site based on the answers they provided. So if you know I'm looking for basketball shoes, or I'm looking for a size 15. Now, next time I come to the site, I would hope that you would only show me products or suggest products as a starting spot that match the answers that I provided. But that are actually in stock. <laughs> you yes. don't get excited about a shoe like, oh, you don't even have that size. Shameless plug. We just yeah, we just started working with a company called GoBot or partnering with them. Mm-hmm. And they've done that with a couple of our clients at the quizzes. And mm-hmm. um, they actually filter a lot of that data into email. So they plug right into Clavio. So a lot of our email yep. clients will use that. And there's so many awesome things you can do with, you know, I guess the quote unquote quiz. You can even do a post-purchase. Like I think with one of our clients, Decorators Best, they're actually asking, what room did you just decorate for? Like mm-hmm. you just bought wallpaper, for example, and you just did your kitchen. Okay, well, they're nurturing. Probably won't focus a lot on the kitchen if they think you're already done there. And they'll yep. focus on bedroom or kids' room or dining room. Um, so you can do a lot once you start getting into that. I guess go down those rabbit trails of personalization, which can go forever. Yeah, 100%. 100%. All right, Ryan. Uh, next question for you is, everyone is always looking for the next great thing. <laughs> yes, they <laughs> they found it. They're on this they... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They want to be early on TikTok or virtual reality or podcast sponsorships. Hey, throw some money Mm -hmm. our way so that you can leverage those cheap acquisition costs. Well, I think those two things might be at odd, but okay. Mm -hmm. Is there a channel or a technology that is gaining traction that you think brands should explore? Or is it more important to focus on fundamentals? (laughs) So you answer your own question there. (laughs) You're not going to start shooting shots from half court if you can't make a land. Uh, so fundamentals is always first, always like learn to dribble, like, you know, build the foundation of your business before mm-hmm. you start trying to figure out TikTok. Yeah. There's always going to be stories around the next big thing that, Hey, I put this TikTok video up of my stretchy pants and now I'm a multi-billionaire on Amazon. Great. Guess what? That's not a real duplicatable business model uh, because it 
sometimes there's intentionality, but more often than not, it, it just happened. So, but fundamentals, if you're not covering the bases, it's going to be very difficult to capitalize on things like a viral TikTok video. And, and you're, if your competitors like me, they're going to capitalize on that for you because you haven't covered the foundation. And I often like to see some maturity in a platform before I'm willing to put my money in to test it. I put some money into Pinterest ads, did not work well. I'm not seeing the data on not let me put an asterisk by this because I do have access to a lot of data. <laughs> so I'm not a normal business owner and that I can see patterns as they're happening. And I can see a lot of other business owners wasting money before I put my money in. But TikTok, it's going to go somewhere, but I'm not yet sure uh, how they're going to be doing with ads. I think it's mm -hmm. there's a lot of native people that are investing in just the content where you're not seeing the results yet, but you're being present and interacting and you know, TikTok may turn into a customer service channel, kind of like Facebook has. And that's okay. It's it's a valuable place to be on Facebook, even if it's not a revenue driving channel yet. And I, we have partners that would argue that Facebook is a great revenue driving channel and customer service because you can upsell and cross sell. But do not chase that next great thing because it, it's the play the odds and play the fact that it's going to mature in time. And, and Facebook and Instagram, you could have been spending money on there five years ago. And it probably wasn't doing great. Uh, yeah. But then there was a window where it did really well and you were there first and you got to capitalize on that. But it's anybody could have jumped in three or four years ago and probably realized just about the same as somebody that started a year before them when it wasn't, it was just trying to figure things out. So fundamentals over fads, if you will. For sure. And I think that's just a general good business principle. <laughs> so okay. it doesn't have to do so digital marketing. Too, too insightful here, uh, you know, uh, but I would say, all, in all in all, unless you have access to big data through thousands of ad accounts like Brian does, you're just going to be guessing based on what you heard. And you should really go where your customers are. Mm -hmm. So unless your customers are on TikTok or they're really in virtual reality or listening to specific podcasts, don't go there. Just because you heard your friend who did that with their business or you read it on Twitter or whatever, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And I mean... This goes back to my whole philosophy on copying and what you see from other brands. You don't know if you're copying from the valedictorian or the flunky. And mm -hmm. you just don't know. And it doesn't matter what they say. I mean, I can't tell you the number of sites that I see somebody come in on, you know, I talk to them before they start working with us and they say, hey, our conversion rate is 2%. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, what do you want to get it to? Like 3%. And I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation. Let's dive in. And then I get looking at their conversion rate and it's like 0.2%. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. You said it was 2%. And they're like, it is. Here's how I'm looking at this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's back up here. This is not, how, you know, you're not looking at your data correctly. So my, my whole point on that is that you can't take what you read uh, uh, when people share this stuff as face value. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's the whole term, show me the receipts. And I think that's true uh, when it comes to LinkedIn and Twitter and all these social networks where people are sharing their wins and you're supposed to be learning from them. The reality is you really want to see behind the scenes of what they're doing and validate that. And most people won't show the chart. They're not going to screenshot their Stripe account and show you how much money they actually made from something, right? They'll tell you about it, but they won't actually show you the proof. I'm not suggesting people are lying. But what I am suggesting is that people don't always have the right data. And so that becomes a bit of an issue to copy. Um, plus, beyond that, right, the, the last thing I have to say on this, there's a reason racehorses wear blinders. 
you are better off focusing on yourself and your brand and just charging forward as fast as you can. You will get a lot further with your consumers than trying to go after what everyone else is doing. Oh, yeah. I think 100%. And, and you can even, like, for example, Joyful Dirt does have a really good conversion rate on Amazon right now. Phenomenal conversion rate. But it took do I, me... Do I need to check your math? <laughs> regardless <laughs> of that, it took me a long time to get to that point. And so you can't just say, oh, Amazon's a great place to advertise because I know that there's good conversion rates from this company, this company. That may be true, but you also don't know that, hey, we also spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in ads to get to the point where we are now testing and measuring keywords, getting off Amazon traffic that you can't just be like, Amazon's great because it converts mm-hmm. really well. Well, well, and that's the thing. You've learned <laughs> yeah. how to address your specific audience and what works for your specific product. Now, could somebody copy that? Maybe, and it might get them a little bit, you know, that experience might get them a little bit further ahead, but they can't copy it directly because yeah. they're not selling fertilizer to your audience. Mm-hmm. So, And if they are, I'm going to win. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right, John, we got one more question that I think is uh, interesting. Uh, I'll say that. And, and it's not something that's happened often or come up. So have you ever tested augmented reality or virtual reality elements on product pages? Like mm-hmm. trying on a pair of glasses or viewing a piece of furniture in your room. I know those things um, exist, but yeah. have you seen them or you done any testing? Seen them. I have seen them. I have not done any testing with them. I've been approached several times by people who want to partner with us to roll that out to our clients. And the reality is that the technology is probably at the point where it's baked enough now. But over the past five years, as this has come up repeatedly, it really hasn't been that good. People would always have to download a specific app or the consumers would have to install something. It just became to the point where it wasn't integrated as well. Right. Like big furniture brands like Knoll is one of Knoll, Herman Miller Knoll is a big client of ours. They don't want their consumers downloading a third party app just to be able to place the furniture in their room. Right. They want to keep them within their own shopping funnel and rightfully so. So if I was to test it, that would be how I would want to see this. IKEA had done a project with this where within an IKEA iPhone app, you could place furniture. Um, And I don't know if they still even have it because. It wasn't getting used that much. And I was kind of surprised that people weren't weren't interested in that. You would think, hey, I want to see how this looks in my room. Does it fit in the dimensions? But it's really hard to get that exact. It's great for kind of a general placement, but it's not good for like, hey, I have two inches to spare you know, in this space. Will it fit? It's really hard to tell based off of that. Technology just isn't 100% there. But all in all, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think the adoption from customers is low and the, the technological barriers are high. So that, that creates a, a bit of a, a gap for brands who could really push us forward to use it. Yeah, I think there's, I've seen some things with like great clips or something. Somebody did a hairstyle one, like see what this new hairstyle would look on you. And getting your face right in the right lighting that would match the mm-hmm. hair. Like trying on glasses. I think Warby Parker's played with that. And I think there's some Mm -hmm. really cool applications. And I think for certain companies, it's going to make more sense than others. And so I think you have to be willing to test in in any business or in any scenario. But the application is going to be very specific to vertical or industry and, you know, plant food. People don't need to see (laughs) what's this plant food look like on my dog. Just put it on there, water it in. Who cares? It's going to grow your plants. Yeah, you you can just show a nice, healthy green plant. But like, I think actually a better one was like, uh, I think this has been done for a long time is wheels on cars. 
-hmm. think a lot of companies have been doing this for a while because it's pretty standard. Like, hey, here's a Ford truck. Pick your color. Okay, let's put the rims on there and see it. And back in my younger days when I was really worried about buying cool wheels for my vehicles, I think that is something that would have helped me make decisions because then you have, as I'm testing this, it's almost like a quiz, but it's a Mm -hmm. visual one for me. On, hey, let's get black ones versus silver ones. Yeah, I mean, that's more of a product configurator. It's an extension of augmented reality for sure. Yeah. But putting that car in your garage and looking at it, I think is true augmented reality, but it's who's going to take that step? I just don't see it. So at any rate. Worth some tests. Interesting. And, or it's and worth probably it. will it's become like in the metaverse, so we start using Oculus as normal. There you that's going to become more and more a big deal probably. Yeah, look, what, what, okay, let's go use the car example. If I had an Oculus uh, headset on and I was looking at new cars, I could configure the car, get walk around the car, right, and see everything. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And then if I could sit inside the car and look around and see exactly everything I'd want to see and maybe even interact with some of the, the yeah, items. Yeah, see how far like things, certain things are. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Perfect use. I mean, I I just last year bought a car sight unseen because cars are so hard to come by that I had to get a car shipped from Texas. And there were none of them in Portland to look at (laughs) for what I wanted. So I was like, I guess I'll just look online and watch some YouTube videos and try to get a feel for it. And I I was pleasantly surprised when I got it, but it could have gone the other way. And I would have been stuck with a car that like, I wasn't really happy with because at this point, that was probably an appreciating assets. You probably would have made a lot of money. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's something I had to pay more than sticker to get it because everybody wanted them, you know? So Uh it's, you know, one of those things that I think could have some use case, but I think there's still technological barriers that we have to overcome. Yeah. For general e-commerce, you're probably overthinking it if you're getting to that point. For for the vast majority of them, there's probably simpler, easier ways to improve conversion rates. As you said on the last answer, focus on the fundamentals. And I think that will really get you where you need to be. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, John, thank we, I think we got through all of our Q&A in two episodes. So that's good. Either that says we don't have enough listeners with questions and we're answering all because we're amazing or <laughs> who knows. It, but we got took, through. Well, it was planned to be one episode and it took two. So yep. I count that as a win. That is a win. I enjoyed these. So we'll have to do one of these again. A less prep work for you and I as well. So that's a, a win out of it too. Yeah. Thanks for the time, John. All right, Ryan. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to Drive and Convert with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. To keep up to date with new episodes, you can subscribe at driveandconvert.com.